Bible, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is where we'll be today. And uh, while you're turning to your Bible, let me encourage you, grab your phone, grab a pen. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to write down the name of somebody that you know. It could be a family member, a friend, a co-worker who is not saved. Somebody who is not saved. Or somebody who is saved but not in church. Or somebody who used to come to church and is saved but is backslidden. And maybe they're away from the Lord. Somebody, it could be anybody, just, just one name. Right? I want, I want you to just quickly write that down. And then we'll get stuck into the Word of God. All right. Mark chapter 2, reading verse 1 to 5 and verse 11 to 12, it says this, And again, he, being Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straight away many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much, as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Look at verse 11. This is Jesus speaking to that sick man. He said, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. In our scripture reading today, Jesus has come to a town, Capernaum. At the time, it was probably around 1,500 people. So not a, not a big town by today's standards, but probably a large town, a larger town by biblical standards. And it was a trade town. It was a hub. So people kind of came from far and wide. And when they came from far and wide, they kind of brought the name of Jesus in, in terms of, uh, uh, no doubt Jesus had been through Capernaum before, but they, they had probably came with some more of the stories that they had heard from this man who was uh, uh, performing miracles and teaching the scriptures. And people had, had, um, had come um, with, he, he, Jesus came with a bit of fame, so to speak. So when Jesus was in the house, people kind of came from the town uh, into the house. The house was jam-packed like a can of sardines. The people were probably standing on the outside looking in. And people rushed into the house. They flocked to the house to see Jesus. And we are introduced in verse 3 to a man who the Bible says was sick with a palsy. And by today's standards, we would probably say that uh, maybe this man was a paraplegic. He was paralyzed in some sort of way. And he had no way of getting to Jesus on his own. But today's message, church, is not about the lame man. Today's message is about these four men who had a burning desire to get their friend to Jesus. You see, Jesus was the only one who could meet the physical need. You know, in like manner, it should be our desire to get those whom we love to Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't just meet the physical need. Jesus also meets the spiritual need, which is the more important need, the need that plagues not just a few men, but this whole well, today's message I've titled, Get Them to Jesus. Why don't we pray? Dear Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day you've given to us. And thank you so much for the time we have to gather together, Lord, in your house and to spend time in your word. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll speak to me, Lord, to the people here at Metropolitan Baptist Church. And I pray, Lord, that you would reignite a fervency to reach the lost in our country and all throughout the world with the gospel. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, if we, are, if we are to take the gospel to the world corporately, then we must first take the gospel personally. 
The measure of a man is not found in his car. It's not found in what house he lives in. It's not found in his university degree or what career he has. The measure of a man is found in his obedience to God's word. And God's word says that we ought to go ye into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. This command to go and be a witness of Jesus Christ is given to individual believers who are part of the church, which is broken up into local uh, assemblies. And we understand, though, as a result, it's very easy to blend into the background. Well, we, we think to ourselves that, hey, you know what, the task of worldwide evangelization, hey, you know what, that's for my pastor. That's for the assistant pastor. That's for maybe the Sunday school teachers or even the missionaries who support me. I'm, I'm happy to give to the work, but I'm not really happy to go and do the work. Church, if you're saved and breathing today, then we have a charge, we have a commission by Jesus Christ himself to go into the world and be ambassadors for him. Hudson Taylor said that the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, it is rather a command to be obeyed. I want you to picture in your mind's eye the following scenario. Uh, you, it's, a, it's a beautiful uh, summer morning like we've had over maybe the, the, today, other days have been raining. And, uh, and you say to your wife, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a Saturday morning, you know, let, darling, why don't, we t- why don't we take the kids, pack up the car and let's uh, head in, into the city. I want to see the opera house, I want to see the harbour bridge, taking the sights and the sounds. So you hop into your car and uh, maybe you're coming from the western suburbs and you're driving through the, uh, uh, the, the M7, M2, I'm forgetting, I've been in America for so long. And then you go through, you know, that Lane Cove Tunnel right here. And you enter the Lane Cove Tunnel, as you're exiting the Lane Cove Tunnel, it's about the time where you start thinking, how much is this costing me in tolls? And uh, we'll deal with that later, right? And, and as you exit the Lane Cove Tunnel, you kind of come across like North Sydney. And as you come across North Sydney, you, you, you kind of take for granted the site of the, op- of the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge, a site that people from all over the world kind of come to see. Uh, those landmarks, and we just drive over it. But as you drive along the Harbour Bridge, you notice that the cars in front of you, they keep disappearing. As you continue driving towards the middle of the bridge, your heart begins to race as you realise that those cars aren't disappearing, rather they're dropping one by one into the waters some 50 metres below. Realising the danger, you pull your car over to safety and you're now faced to take one of two options. You see, first of all, you can get out of your car, you can begin waving people down, pleading for them to stop, or you can sit tight in the comfort of your car, really waiting for someone else to do what you should be doing. Today, we're faced with a similar but equally important and real decision to make. As born-again believers, we understand that the bridge is out. That sin has run its course, that sin plagues all men, and that the consequence of sin and the wages of sin is death. And that the lost in people in these cars are certain to face an eternal future without Jesus Christ. The question is, are we going to warn those around us that the bridge is out? Or are we consent, uh, um, content to, le- to, to sit down in our cars living our greatest purpose-driven life, all the while our family, our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues drop one by one into the waters below for eternity. Church, I'd like to remind you that love is not a feeling. Love involves action. 
And the proof of your love is not found in our, in our feelings, it's found in our actions. And when was the last time you loved someone enough to put your busy life on hold? To get out of your car, to get out of your comfort zone and to tell them and to warn them about the certain danger ahead of them. We've been commissioned by Jesus to go and to be ambassadors. And Jesus Christ said the following statement. He didn't have an alliterated outline. He didn't take 45 minutes to get his point across. He just said, as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. Tonight I would like to show you the extraordinary lengths that these four men went to get their friend to Jesus. And in doing so, how it reveals to us three qualities that ought to identify us as fishers of men. Three qualities that ought to identify us as fishers of men. Notice first of me, their deep concern. You know, in the East, hospitality was one of the most basic laws and people didn't didn't wait for an invitation before they went into the house. They just came in droves. But unfortunately, this meant that those who really needed Jesus, particularly those with physical ailment, couldn't get to him because of the, the sheer number of people. But this layman, he had some friends, and these friends had a deep concern for him. And they evidenced the same compassion that Jesus had in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. It says here, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? compassion on them. You know what compassion is? It's your hurt in my heart, right? It's your hurt in my heart. Compassion is looking upon the loss of, 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 of this area here in Lane Cove and, and Sydney and Australia and this world and saying, I know your plight and I have a solution for you. And, and because I understand your, 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 your hurt, it's in my heart. I want to tell you about Jesus. These men had a legitimate concern because their friend, this man, this man who was paralyzed, could not get to Jesus on his own. Church, when you look around uh, upon those around you whom you encounter with a on a daily basis, are you moved with compassion towards them? Notice how their deep concern was evidenced by their purpose. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 17 to 18. Luke 5, verse 17 through to 18. The Bible says here, And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. You know, many people would have simply walked by this man on the way to the house to see Jesus. But only these four men stopped and showed uh, that, that compassion towards him. You know, there was no doubt about it. This man had a problem. Christ had the solution, and if we can just simply get this man to Jesus Christ, then Christ could heal him. They believed that not only Christ um, had the power to heal, they didn't just know that, but they also believed with all their heart that he had the desire to heal. And church, let me just tell you that God's desire is that all men will come to the saving knowledge of him as their personal saviour. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, And he is the propitiation of, uh, for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I call that verse the Calvinism killer, right? It's a great verse because it's not just, not just our sins as believers, but for the sins of the whole world did he came and die, right? Now, let me just tell you, the, word, the, the Bible here uses the word propitiation, right? And propitiation, in its simplest form, it just means satisfactory payment. 
Imagine going to Woolworths and you're checking out at the, at the end of the, the week and you're getting groceries for the next week and some, some of your ladies in particular maybe go and do your shopping online. So you, you, you put all your stuff in the, in, in the trolley and you go to the, uh, the checkout and the lady goes, hey, you know what, that would be uh, $390 for your groceries for the week in Sydney or whatever, four or $500. And uh, um, that's, not, that, that's probably actually what it is with inflation. <laughs> but you know what, it... it it, she says, you know what, uh, that's how much it's going to cost. And you say, hey, you know what, uh, I'm a banana farmer, actually. I'm from Cairns, and we come down here, and my whole ute is filled with bananas. And uh, I'd like to pay for my groceries with bananas. You know what she's going to say? My friend, you are bananas, right? And she's probably going to call the mental asylum to take you away sort of thing. They're going to understand why, why can't I pay for my groceries with bananas? And here's the answer. It's not a satisfactory payment, Right? Now, you, you know what people would try to do to get to heaven, right? They try to put their trust in religion. They try to put their trust in good works and deeds. They try to put their trust in tradition. But you know what? That's like paying for your sins with bananas. It, it's not a satisfactory payment. You know what is a satisfactory payment? The shed blood of Jesus Christ upon a cross, right? The Bible says without the remission of, uh, rem- uh, what is it? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, right? Jesus Christ, he's the only solution to the sin problem. This sin problem, we understand it, plagues all of man, and we need to be intentional about bringing the loss to him. But you know what, church, at times, we can become a little bit willfully ignorant. We go to work tomorrow. When you go to work tomorrow, are you, you, you're faced with lost people. Have we, have we, become, have we forgotten um, the, the main thing? Have we have we forgotten the main thing about reaching the lost, or or is work just another place where we can go? We can earn a, a dollar. We can go back home and relax again until Sunday comes again, and we to, and we're in church again to hear the message. You know, we ought to be purposeful and intentional each and every day. You know, when you go to the service station, and, and you pay for your fuel, and it's probably the same service station in your local area. Try to build a relationship with that person, that person behind the counter. Slip them an invite to church. Let them know a little bit about your family and try to build some relationship and rapport with them. Why? Because you want to eventually see them saved, right? We need to be intentional. We need to understand that when we leave this church building, that we are now entering the mission field. And I dare say it, on a Sunday morning, if you guys have guests and visitors who come, the mission field actually walks straight through those doors and sits down right in front of you. You know, their deep concern wasn't just evidenced by their purpose, though. It was evidenced by their persistence. Look at Luke 5.18. And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. You know, many people in the crowd simply had an excuse why they could not take this man to Jesus. But the Bible says that these men, these four men, it says here that they sought means to bring him in. They, they saw the crowds, they knew they could not make it through the crowds, yet they actively searched out another method to get their friend to Jesus. Now, this is what I'm not saying. There's not multiple ways to get your salvation. There's one way. Can't get to the Father unless you go through the Son, right? There's only one way, right? But what I am saying is this. I want you to notice their persistence. You see, soul winning is not just about a once-off conversation. It's about consistent and persistent nurturing. 
right? Um, I'll put it this way. You know, you've got invites to the, to the Christmas party. I mean, to the Christmas party. The, the, the carols by candlelight, right? Um, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. You've got, <laughs> you got invites there, right? Now, here's a stat for you. 80% of people coming and attending a church because they uh, are invited by someone else in that church, right? And, and you guys have a great opportunity in Christmas time to invite people to come to church to attend the carols, and, and this is you being persistent. Now, now, this is what you don't need to do. Walk up to someone and give them that and go, I'd like to invite you to a carol service. And before they can even look at it, you're already gone away, right? Listen, as, as humans, you know what we don't like? Rejection. Nobody likes rejection. Now, I, I, I dare say a lot of people in our church, maybe they don't go soul winning and go door knocking because they just don't like rejection, right? Uh, but let me just tell you this. Um, the People will reject the gospel. That's part of it. But people have a choice whether or not they reject it, okay? Uh, but you know what we can do? Uh, we, we can say, hey, you know what? I, I'd like you and your family to be my guest at my church um, for, for the Christmas carol, right? And you give them the invitation. You know what you do in a week or so? You, you follow them up again, right? Hey, you know, did, did you ever think about that invitation? Oh, you did. Oh, you can't attend this week? Oh, okay, maybe, uh, maybe there'll be something else on I can attend, you know, you can attend. Hey, Easter's coming, you know, or we're having a special service here, or we're doing this. And you know what you're slowly doing? You're building a relationship with those around you. It's not just about a once-off invite, leave them and go. We, we need to be a little bit more intentional in cultivating um, um, our, our, um, our love and our relationships with those around us, those who we meet on a regular basis. And I wrote here in my notes here that uh, not all plants will grow the same. You know, some will grow fast, some will grow slow, some will go sideways, some will grow straight, but with consistent care, there will be some that grow to maturity and some will blossom. And in like manner, we don't know the outcome of the gospel seed you are sowing. You, you don't, right? But I can tell you something, that we've been commanded to go. You know, when I, when, I, when I was called to uh, plant this church, I was thinking to myself, you know, you, as a church planner, you always get that kind of thing in your head that, hey, you know, what happens if we start and you put all this uh, effort in, you spend time in prayer and marketing and, and speaking to people and building relationships, and then on that day, it's just me, my wife, and family, right? So well, what happens then? And then I'm, I'm reminded of this. My, my, um, my instruction in the Bible is, is that I don't go and do the saving. That's God who saves. I don't do the convicting. That's the Holy Spirit working in their life. What's my job? It's to go, right? It's, it's, it's not about filling the auditorium. I'm trying to fulfill the Great Commission, right, which is to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Now, how I tell them, the, the message may offend. That's the gospel. But how I do it, my demeanor, shouldn't offend, right? I should be doing what I can to, to, to pastor my community, and, and to love these people, and to build that relationship, to build that rapport, to be someone that they can come to, and to show them that there is hope in a Savior. So the Great Commission, what we understand, it involves baptizing, it involves teaching, it involves uh, planting churches, and it, it will require uh, commitment and sacrifice on our behalf. But the results will vary. But that doesn't abdicate us from the responsibility to go, right? 
So don't just give up after one try. Keep going back to the cafe. Keep going back to that service station. Keep handing out traps. Keep uh, watering. Keep working the soil. Keep sowing seeds because God, he'll he'll give the increase. And we just trust in him. But not only do we see a deep concern for the lost, notice secondly, a deliberate unity. You know, as a church, we co-labor together in ministry. Each member of the body works together. um, And one of those areas where we work together is in the area of soul winning. Notice that these men were unified in their burden. In Mark chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. The word born means to lift up. You don't need to go into the Greek or the Hebrew or whatever. You just grab your Webster's 1828. It means to lift up, okay? Very simple. And what they did was they picked him up, right? And you can just imagine. I, I remember watching these soccer videos and they, they pick people up and the guy's injured and they drop them and things like that. But can you imagine what happens if, uh, if these four men were not united? That, two of them would have gone straight. Two of them would have gone backwards. And uh, this guy would have fallen on the ground and he would have ended up with a lot more than just a palsy right, probably banged up head or something like with that, but you know what, these men worked together to get their friend to where he needed to go, and remember this church, you can only be in unity if you share a common goal, and Philippians 1.27 says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving how? Together for the faith of the gospel. You know, there's a lot of buzzwords when it comes to churches about what, what um, gets a church going. And people are like, hey, transparency in finances, accountability, all great words, all good things that you should have built into your stewardship policies as a church. Great things. But you know what the Bible says is the key to unity? It's humility, right? It's humility. It, it says, let this mind be in you that also was in Christ Jesus. What did he do? He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. He became a servant. He died on the cross. The greatest form of humility is Christ Jesus. And if we want to be united as a church, then we've got to show humility. We've got to say, hey, you know what? Hey, you know, I would do it this way. You would do it that way. I'll abdicate my desire for you. Let's just do it your way. Neither one contravene the Bible. and, And I'm happy to do that. And that's how we form unity, right? with a little bit of humility. You know, Christianity is an inside-out relationship with God. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you and He's on a mission to change you and to cultivate your life into the very image of Christ. But let me just say this, that the legalistic Christian, they're not interested in bearing the burdens of others. Instead, the Bible says in the book of Matthew, that they add to the burdens of others. And the Bible referred to these people as Pharisees. The Pharisees had this outward showing, but their heart is far from God. But in contrast, the Spirit-led Christian, they demand more of themselves than they do of other people because they want to help others. And this is is why I say this, because as a church, we ought to be Spirit-filled believers who have a desire to be a burden-bearer to those around us to come alongside one another, to help carry the loads, not just talk about it, but to live it out in their lives. Wouldn't it be good if everyone in this church here lived out exactly what the Bible says? 
I heard one preacher said, you know, we would fulfill the Great Commission if we would just obey God's Word. If we were simply Christians who obeyed God's Word, we would, we would fulfill the Great Commission. We would go out and tell others about Jesus. There would be a fervency and a desire in our life each and every day to do that. You know, in our church, we've got a young man. He's a Sri Lankan gentleman, one of our young adults, and his name's Johan. Johan's a great kid, and he was in our youth group when I was there. And Johan has this knack of bringing his work colleagues, his school friends, and things like that to church. And uh, Johan now works in the in the uh, uh, the hospital there. And uh, he he brought this lady uh, named Karina. And Karina's at at our church. They don't mind me mentioning their names and things like that. But um, Karina was unsaved, uh, single mom, and and she got uh, she she came to church. Johan kind of said to my wife, "Hey, Miss Bell, can you?" Can you look after my, my work colleague, Karina? So Karina comes to our house and we have her over for dinner and my wife leads her to the Lord. So she now is saved, okay? And uh, now she starts coming to church and she brings now her daughter, Olivia. And uh, Olivia meets our, uh, our youth leaders, Darren and Rekha. And Darren and Rekha take her and they, uh, they kind of explain the gospel and then she gets saved. So you got Olivia saved and Karina saved and this is what a Sunday uh, looks like for us, right? Uh, sometimes uh, uh, Karina, she's got to work at the hospital and that's kind of shift work. So on Sunday, she has to work. She'll drop Olivia at our house at maybe about eight o'clock and they will both stay at our house. My wife will kind of do waffles and maple syrup, all the healthy stuff. And, uh, and, and we'll kind of feed them. And then mum will go to work and Olivia will come with us to church. Uh, Olivia comes to church. She's part of our, our youth um, kind of uh, um, group and things like that. So Darren and Rekha, they'll have her at church and teach her and all those things with the other kids. And then after church, they'll take Olivia to their house and they'll have lunch with her. And they'll have lunch with her. She'll spend the afternoon with her. And then Olivia uh, comes back to church in the evening. Mum meets her at church and they worship God together. And, uh, and then they go home together at the end of the day. And that's kind of like some of the, the typical Sundays that we see. Now, in the background as well, what's going on is some of the ladies in my wife's uh, uh, mother's groups, uh, they call it Raising Arrows, they're, they're now helping Karina, uh, developing her to be a mom and, and just encouraging her a little bit. Our pastor and, and his wife, Pastor Tom and, 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 and Mrs. Hyde, Mrs. Gondeman, they're, uh, they're working together with mom and daughter now because uh, how do you... How do you kind of, uh, as a mum and daughter, you know, there's, there's a hierarchy in the, in the Word of God to follow, right? So we're going to teach you how to live your life as mum and daughter through God's Word, right? Let's work on those relationships and strengthen them through God's Word. So they work with her on that side. And then you've got a whole bunch of other things happening in the background. And just the other day, Karina comes to me. Actually, it wasn't just the other day. It was about 10 weeks ago before we left for the States. And she said, hey, can you explain to me, we just had this missions conference, what is faith promise? And what is giving? And I always get a little bit ten tentative with that question because for me, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, I don't want her to think we invited her to church to get her money and things because that's what she's being told by other people. Um, but I, I said, hey, you know what? Let me just tell you, we don't have to give, we get to give, right? And we give because we love the Lord and just explaining that to her, explaining a little bit about faith promise. And, and I said, hey, you know what? Um, God, God is taking you on a journey of faith and you can depend on him and you can trust in him and just sharing with, with her a little bit about um, how God did the same for us. And so this now single mom who's working with a young daughter started not just tithing to the church, she started uh, giving uh, to Faith Promise as well, which you can imagine is a big step. You're not giving out of your abundance, you're kind of giving out of what you don't have. And I know that, you know, she's, she's in a bit of a tough situation. But you know what that is? That's now someone who wasn't saved. 
getting saved, daughter gets saved, they're now growing in spiritual maturity, and that is the church being united. It's not just my wife doing something, it's not just Johan. You see, Johan brought her in, my wife led her to the Lord, uh, Pastor Tom's counseling, Darren Recker look after the daughter. You know what? That, that's the church unified in the burden, right? Now, I wish I could stand here and tell you guys that, hey, that happens with everyone. It doesn't. But there's no reason why it can't. Why, why, it, it, it can happen, right? But we as a church need to be unified in our burden. The, you know, can I just have a show of hands? Put your hand up if you, if you wrote a name down, right? So many people, look around the room. Many people have, have a friend, a sick friend, that we can get around and help them get their friend to Jesus. See, we can pray, we can encourage, we can, we can visit them, we can come alongside them and help lift them up and carry the load. This is not a load that you have to carry on your own. This is where we as a church can come alongside you and lift that load for the cause of Christ. But we don't just see that they were unified in their burden, we also understand that they were unified in their work. Look at Mark 2 verse 4. It says, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. They, these men, they, they said, hey, you know what? We can't get this guy to Jesus. The house is too full. Let's, they sought means, another means to bring him in. So they went up to the roof of the house. Some of you guys will know the Sunday school story. And, and they kind of moved that thatch or the tiles aside, and they lowered their friend into the very presence of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that house? You can imagine that maybe the light shifted as the roof was open. Everyone kind of would have probably stopped talking, to, uh, listening to Jesus, and they probably would have kind of looked up and gasped a little bit as this man was lowered into the very presence of, of Christ. It got me thinking a little bit. You see, a lot of those people in the house, like I said before, they would have gone past this man. They would have gone past this man on their way to hear Jesus preach, to see Jesus uh, uh, do something with, the, with, with those who had physical ailments. Uh, they, they were so busy that they forgot the need that was in front of them. And you know what, church? Sometimes we can be so busy on, on getting to church and, and going there on a Sunday and a Sunday night and Wednesday during the week that we forget the need of the hour, right? And, and these men, uh, uh, they, 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 there were two people, the people that kind of went past this man and then kind of st stood in the house. And then you had the, the, the four men who kind of sought means to bring their friend to Jesus. They, uh, they, they, they showed some uh, tenacity in what they did in that they, they didn't just stop at saying, hey, you know what, the house is full, we can't just get you. They, they moved the tiles off to the side, they lowered their friend down. And what did they do? The Bible says they lowered him down, they, they held the rope. And, and here's the thing, there are people who are content to watch, and there's people who will say, you know what, I'll hold the rope. And, and which one are you here today? Uh, are, are you someone who's just happy to sit in, in the pews and, and coming to church week by week by week, never really getting involved, uh, but maybe doing the bare minimum required? Or are you, content, are you, are you someone that says, hey, you know what, uh, I, I see the, the, the need of the hour. I understand that Jesus Christ is the solution. I, I, I want to do what we can to hold the rope. And you know what? As I stand here looking about at the back, I see missionary after missionary after 
missionary and I see flags. And you know what that is? That is a missions-minded church. And you know what that is in, in, in return? It is you guys, Metropolitan Baptist Church, holding the rope, right? That, that, that's this church saying, hey, you know what? We're not just going to go past that lame man. Uh, we're going to carry that, that lame. We, we're going to join those missionaries and we're going to pick him up and we're going to get those people to Jesus. Hey, we, we can't do that uh, physically. Obviously, we're in Australia. They're overseas, but we can pray for them. We can give towards them. We can uh, encourage them with a text or an email or something to that effect. And that's this church, Metropolitan Baptist Church here in Lane Cove, holding the rope all throughout the world. You know, that missionary, he was from China. I think we read a, a prayer letter, right? He needs you guys to hold the rope. He needs you guys to pray. And you know what, church? We can't ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You wake up at night and you feel like, hey, you know what? God's placed on me, my heart that missionary. Maybe I should pray for them. Hey, let me just encourage you to get up and pray for them. Because they, they might be going through something at that particular point in time. But we need to be unified in the work. Before leaving for India, William Carey famously told Andrew Fuller, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. Fuller held the ropes by serving as the president of the Baptist Mission Society from its founding until his, his death in 1814. He traveled all over the British Isles raising funds and preaching mi missions-related sermons. The missionaries in India and other fields can concentrate on their ministry in the field because they knew Fuller was advocating for them back home. You know, you might not be called today to give up your job and head off into full-time ministry. That would be pretty good, right? But can I encourage you to not just watch the ministry here in your local church, but to roll up your sleeves and to hold the rope. Be part of this church. Be, be, uh, help your pastor. Help your assistant pastor. Uh, get busy within your local church. We've seen the deep care offered by these friends. We've seen their deliberate unity. Finally, I want to show you very quickly a dedicated faith. We see, first of all, the focus of their faith. In Luke 5, verse 20, it says, And when he saw their faith, he said unto their man, Thy sins are forgiven thee. You know what the focus of our faith is as Christians? It's none other than Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that we ought to, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And when these, men came, when these people came into the house, their desire was to see what Jesus would say and more so to see what Jesus would do. But the Bible didn't disappoint. It tells us what Jesus did. It says he preached the word unto them. In verse 2 of Mark 2, it says, And straightway many were gathered in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. You know what's going to make our church plant flourish? It's not going to be a website, a graphic design, logo, church name, or how hip I am and what shoes I wear and all that sort of stuff. Those things might be okay. There's a place for those things. They're important to have good websites. It's the, it's the, uh, the world that we live in today. But, but the Bible says here that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need a place and importance on preaching the word of God. And if you're going to preach the Word of God, then you need to read the Word of God and you need to live it out as well in your own life. A church that declares the gospel is a church that is unashamed of the gospel. And it's not just about going here in Lane Cove, it's all over Sydney. There are people in need of Jesus Christ. The city of Sydney, Sydney CBD, not one church in that area. 
if you go north of, of the CBD, I- into Bondi and all those areas, uh, there's no churches really in those areas. Down south, you've got Pastor Gus, and he'll probably be the first one to tell you we can do with another 10 of us. There are, there are big needs in our city. These men had the faith to believe that Jesus could and would meet their need. Their faith was placed in the action. It would have been easier for them to say, hey, you know what? There's no point in trying today to get into Jesus. Let's come back tomorrow. But you know what they did? They understood the need of the hour. They could have said, uh, they would have been real Baptists, right? If they said, oh, we'll pray for you, brother. But you know what? They put some action to their prayers. Church, we need to make each and every moment count. We don't need to wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. And the Bible says in John 4.35, Say not ye, there are four months, and, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I love that, that, that phrase there, lift up your eyes. You, you know, the harvest field is right in front of you. But you know what? We can become so enamored with our phones, with the PlayStation, with the video games, with the day today. We can be Martha when we should be a Mary. And, and we forget that the, the importance of our day is not found in, in our job. It's coming before the feet of Jesus. And, and, and it's going out there and recognizing that we have a community, car by car by car, is traveling outside. And, you know, what the first thing I noticed when I drove past this church is that you guys have done a renovation. And it looks fantastic. And, and, you know, that's a testimony to your community, right? Even something like that. When you, when you, when you have ma- manicured lawns and your trees are clean and your bathrooms are neat and all those things, that's a testimony to your community. It's little bits and pieces um, that, that tells me that this church has an awareness for the lost. And this church here, they always say location, location, location. It's in the best location probably about all the churches along the main road. And it's a lighthouse in Lane Cove. And, and never, church, never keep, keep taking on those who need to be taken on for mission. And we need to pray. Australia has more young people surrendering to full-time service because it really needs it. But, you know, we also need to do our part as church members to reach our community, our friends, our community with the gospel. You know, in the end, the Bible says that they were all amazed and glorified God. You know, it's Jesus who gets the glory. It's him who gets the glory. It's for his glory. So how, how, how should you respond? Brother Keegan, you've preached this message on how to reach a, you know, kind of like how we can be fishers of men, but... How do I respond to this? What do I do with my local church here? I'm not called to full-time ministry. What do I do? How do I get busy? Well, I probed this question to a, a missionary who's been in Sri Lanka for 28 years. And this is his response to me. And uh, I want to read it to you. And uh, he texted it to me. And it would give you some encouragement on how you can respond to this message. He said here, my sincere counsel for you is to see God working to solidify the church. Dig in deeper in your service to the Lord through your church. God is doing something that you don't dare want to miss out on. Give the church all the time you can in prayer, helping wherever and however. Make no changes in your church status other than getting down on your knees and crying out for revival of missions, hearted thrusts. A major working of God is taking place. Get to the church and pray in solitude at least 
once a week by yourself and or with your wife. Start a missionary movement at the church that will turn the world upside down. Launch out into the deep. Let down your soul-winning prayer discipleship net and realize that God is reviving you, your family, and the church in the midst of the year. Be a watchman. Your church needs you and you need your church more than ever. Own it, claim it, nail it down. Rise up, O man of God. It's time to go after Australia and the 1040 with a renewed vigor. Get a polo shirt imprinted that your church is the greatest place to be. Win souls and bring them in from the fields of sin. Church, let me tell you once again that the bridge is out, that the lost is on their way to hell and we have the opportunity to get out of our car and to wave people down. There will be some who avoid you. There will be some that curse you. There will be some that will heed to the warning. Will you be the one today to get those whom you love to Jesus?